This is Steph George, and welcome to the Creators Podcast, where we examine strategies and mindsets behind the people who take action on their ideas and bring them to life. In this episode, we'll hear from Tam Alsad, the founder of Fora, a matchmaking service to find mates, not dates, and how he went from head of growth in other people's startups to diving headfirst into his own. Let's get into it. I'm the founder of Fora, which is a matchmaking service to find mates, not dates. It's a, an idea that I've been sitting on for a while and kind of in the last uh, well, six months, I've been working on it for the last six months. And it just kind of got to a point in my last job where I was ready for the next challenge and kind of asked myself what I wanted to do, found that this was something I was passionate about and remembered an idea that I'd had six years ago and decided to kind of go for it. I've had a weird journey getting here. I, I started out my career at a startup after studying economics at university in London. I've always kind of thought of myself as a startup person, but when I, I was there for eight years at my first, in my first job. And after I left, I kind of didn't really know what to do with myself. I picked up all these different skills and had done so many different roles, and so many different projects. I actually found it hard to get a job because I was looking for something so general and nobody hires generalists. So I ended up, uh, narrowing down and, and, and focusing on marketing, which is what I was doing for the last six years in, in a number of different roles until launching this business in, or starting to work on this business, I should say, probably in March of this year. I made what some might call the rather foolish decision to leave my job before starting to see if this thing works or not. But I, I you know, like many businesses, we had a pretty tough tough year during the the, the the first lockdown, I guess. When the, when the pandemic originally broke out, I was working at a marketing agency and we had a lot of clients who lost revenue kind of overnight and, and had to you know cancel our services. And so we lost a lot of revenue, something crazy like 40% within two weeks or something. As, as kind of the internal marketer, the, the head of growth, it was my role to try and get us back on track and to try and win new business. And, you know, we reacted remarkably well as a team and really pulled together and in the end kind of February's revenue numbers February 2021 matched up with February 2020 for revenue figures so you know I kind of looked back at that and, and felt it was a real accomplishment and something that I was really proud of and kind of started looking as to to what next and and what do I want to do and decided the best thing for me to do was to just you know take the challenge properly I'm not really the kind of person who I don't like to do two things at once as much as I like to think I can multitask but particularly with anything like that's a really big focus I knew if I was just doing this on the side it wouldn't get the attention that I really wanted to give it so I took a risk took a gamble and left and I guess so far it's paying off but it's early days yet and I'm excited to see where it where it heads I'm sure many of us can relate to where Tammy is at this point in his career faced with the question on a lot of people's minds, especially since the pandemic, which is, what comes next? What do I want to be doing? I've got this great idea, but how do I know if it's something I should go after? What if it fails? I guess the question that we don't ask enough is, what if it doesn't fail? What if it works? And how do you know if you don't give it a go? Yeah, so for is something I'd been sitting on for six years. So when I first moved to, to Sydney, I'm from the UK, originally from London. I moved here after backpacking for four months and I wasn't, I wasn't really planning on moving here or anything. I just ended up coming here just because I thought it'd be a nice change. Didn't have anything to go back for in the UK. It was on a sabbatical, you know, it was on a, a four month break. I just thought, okay, well, let's, let's move here and see what happens. Um, coming off the backpacking trip, I was meeting so many people, you know, when you're, I don't know if you've ever been backpacking alone or anything, but you're always talking to people at hostels or at bars or tourist attractions. You're always kind of out and about and just having a conversation. And then when I got here, I found it much more difficult to do that. I know 
the mindset thing of, you know, this is where I live now. You can't just go up to people randomly and, and talk to them for some reason. And I thought, well, there has to be a better way. There has to be, you know, a way that people can meet people and not necessarily kind of through another activity, you know, not through joining a sports team or joining a music club or, or doing whatever else. It's just like, I just want to meet people. So how can I, how can I make that happen? At the time, like I said, I'd just arrived. I didn't have a visa, um, not one that would allow me to start a business. I didn't really have any money in the bank to pay rent or anything else. So I figured I'd knuckle down, start working and, and, and actually completely forgot about the idea. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, six years later, I, I, I started it up and, and kind of actually started thinking about the idea properly and how would it actually work and who would be interested in it and all these kind of things that I'd never delved into before because I just thought, well, this is a cool idea and I could probably make it work one day. And it's only really when you quit your job, sit down with an empty pad and a pen, and you're like, okay, what do I do now? But the idea is, is just, yeah, to help people meet people. So the way it works is that people sign up, they register and tell us about some of their interests, their hobbies. I think there's like 170 different data points that they can select to tell us a bit more about who they are. And then ultimately we we match them up in the back end and just look at all the different profiles and go who who goes well with who and then drop them an email and match people up four at a time. So we'll find a group of four, email them and say, you've all, you all said you're available next Thursday. So we've booked you a table at a pub. And so they don't get, they don't have to chat. They don't have to swipe through different profiles. They don't have to try and even arrange the meeting. They literally just turn up and have a good time and that's that's been the idea and and, and it started really really well they, we had a fair few meetups already in the, in, in the few months after we launched and then we went into lockdown in sydney so that took the wind out of our sails a little bit but have been trying to, to persevere and keep building the business regardless the process of, of, of friend making or becoming friends and, and growing that kind of relationship is really one that works so much better face to face you know as much as we've had zoom drinks during lockdown everybody would much rather cheers each other in person than hold the beer up to a screen or to a camera so i i actually went back to my audience and i said well look how can we help you you know what can what can forward do to support you guys during this time how can we keep you entertained or whatever it may be and the overwhelming response was was people wanted trivia virtual trivia so i wanted to think about how i can do trivia with a with a for a twist and decided on the idea of, of doing a kind of battle of the suburbs trivia night ultimately what what happens is people register for trivia and they tell me where they live and then I match them up with their neighbors. So we'll do the trivia in, in a big group. I'll ask the questions and then put them into breakout rooms with other people that they you know live around. And they have a conversation, they chat, they talk about the answers and then everybody just generally has, has some good fun. So it's still bringing people. It's not as, I guess, tailored. It's literally just where do you live? But people have enjoyed it a lot. I've had a lot of kind of amazing feedback and a lot of awesome kind of emails. Uh, a few of my friends have joined. One of them I remember speaking to and she said, oh, they ended up, they got on so well with their team that they set up a dream, uh, Zoom drink for afterwards and they carried on drinking and having a laugh late, late into the night. And that's, that's ultimately what it's about, you know, it's just how can we bring different types of people together for some fun. So Tam's taken the leap and dived into pursuing his idea of Fora, which is bringing people together as mates, not dates. But it's one thing that you as the idea person thinks it's a great idea. It's another if your mum thinks it's a pretty good idea and your friends. But truly validating an idea with your customers is what tells you whether or not your idea is something that people want and if it's solving a problem for them. So how do you validate an idea? And how soon after you've had the idea do you validate? Do you launch the idea first or validate first? I, I kind of consulted with a few people that I know. I know a few people who run startups, who own startups or have been in them and 
like I said, I've been in startups for a long time, so kind of had a bit of an idea. But I followed one of my one of my friends advised me to follow what they call the lean frame, and it's it's a very condensed business plan. I guess you can fit it all onto one page, and it helps you just to highlight the salient points of the business. So what I ended up doing was just kind of writing down what I think the you know, the aim of the businesses, you know, what are the, what are the, how are we going to promote it? Who's it for? You know, what makes it different? Who are the competitors? All that kind of stuff that wouldn't go into a normal business plan, but much more condensed. And the idea is to keep changing it frequently. But so I started with that and, and another friend of mine kind of advised me to, to look at the fundamental assumptions. There's a number of different names for them. I can't remember what it's called, but basically what assumptions am I making about the success, like the, for this business to have some success and how can I test those assumptions as quickly as possible so a couple of things for me was you know would people actually want to meet people that they've never met are people interested in meeting people you know th- those kind of assumptions and so I put out a very 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 basic form to begin with it was just a google form um, and it was like name email address what are you into you know, it didn't even have options. It was just an open, open-ended question. And do you want to meet people? You know, and that was that was basically it. So I put that out to a group of friends and asked them to share it with their friends and to share it with their friends as much as possible. I probably got about 50 responses, which I was pretty happy with. And then from that, you know, just tried to use the information that people had given to to match people up. And that that was enough for me to create two groups of, of people to meet and learn all the kind of logistics around how long people take to respond, when people want to meet, when they don't want to meet, what's important to them. So then, yeah, we did two two groups and they both worked really, really well. So I decided it was time to, to step it up a little bit and create a very basic website with a more slightly more advanced form and then put that out there to not my friends, to uh, went into Facebook groups and trying to put it out there and to see if, if anybody was interested. You know, ultimately, the, the only real feedback that, that, that properly matters is customer feedback. So I do try and speak to, to my customers regularly. I will, you know, I've got automated emails that go out to ask them for feedback after events or after they've had a meetup or, or anything else. But I, I even say in my emails and at the end of every email, like I'm always open to chat. So just if you have any feedback, any questions, please, please let me know. Collecting it in a form has been great, though, because I've then got it all in one place and I can look at all of the responses and start categorizing things and just saying, OK, well, a lot of people are saying this. You know, what does that mean? How can I do that? And then just speaking to them on, on the phone, if possible. You know, I'll always ask, can we have a follow up call and, and a chat to, to talk about things? And that works so much better than than web forms, you know, at really getting into the the detail of it and the context, I guess, of, of people's responses. So wherever possible, I try to get feedback either, you know, on a video call or, or on a phone call or in person rather than email feedback's great, but it, like it's good for being able to go away and come back to it, but you don't get the context. You don't always get what people are trying to say. Mm. And that got a, a, a relatively good response. So I just, I've just basically been upgrading both the website and the form since then, just taking on board all the information that people are giving me and saying, well, okay, well, this is what people care about. And so that's that then updates everything else. So I've got a few friends who work in marketing and they, they'd they recommended a Webflow over WordPress. They said it's really kind of good no-code platform. I can understand how tech works and I can understand a little bit of code, but my eye for design is terrible. I just, I cannot pick colors. I can't tell when things are in the right place or in the wrong place. They centered, they aligned, all that kind of stuff's terrible. So my first website was an absolute joke. It was, it was, it was really bad, but I had a friend, design friend, just kind of help out with some of the spacing and the alignment and stuff and, and just building it from there. I think Webflow, Webflow is amazing just because their tutorials are so good. They really make an effort to, to help you understand what you're trying to do. And they're really humorous about it as well, actually. They throw a lot of jokes into their 
their tutorial videos and they make it quite a fun process to learn basically and um still still very much finding my way around that haven't haven't nailed it but took me a while to discover templates and and those are fantastic um because until then i was trying to build everything from scratch but they've got a lot of templates for free and for paid um yeah paid you know you can pay for and i've been using those since and that's been that's been a lot better i'm not great with planning and i'm not i'm definitely i'm even worse at sticking to a plan uh when i've come up with one but there are so many unknowns it was it was almost impossible to you know i had a bit of a plan like i guess i wrote i mean i wrote i did a couple of you know, sketches in on pieces of paper and just saying, okay, somebody does this and then they do that, you know, those kind of customer flows, I guess. But ultimately, as I started building it, it made a lot more sense to me as I was building it, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, well, if I do that, then they can't do this next, I'll do this instead. And, and so, yeah, it was much more on the hoof and then, and then revising it later and going, okay, these are where the problems are. These are where the roadblocks are. This is how I'm gonna, this is how I'm gonna change things. So you've validated the idea. The website is built and the wheels are well and truly in motion. Now you wanna take things to the next level. So you need more money, serious money. You're at a crossroads and you need to make a decision. Do you wanna to continue to bootstrap and use your own finances? Which will mean that you remain totally in control of the direction. Or do you seek funding from external investors? Or, if you're lucky, the government might chip in with a grant. So how do you navigate this stage? How do you know which option is best for you? The good news is, there is no wrong way or right way. Yeah, so I, I kind of left on very good terms, but but we just kind of realised it was, it was better to do things quickly. And so I didn't have a lot of money saved up to do things and, and needed to find a way to finance the business relatively quick. I had been in conversations with two former directors from here and from back in the UK, pretty much from the beginning, just as, as kind of mentorship and just saying, hey, like, you know, we'd be willing to help answer some questions and help guide me in the right way sort of thing. And they were. And so when um, I always knew I was going to have to raise some funding after a few months and I wanted to really make sure I'd validated the idea and got a bit of a feel for how the business runs before I asked anybody for any money. But I was having these conversations with my former directors who um, who were like, you know, we'll potentially invest in you and invest in this business and, and we'll see how that goes. As it came down to it, we weren't really able to find a a price, basically, you know, a valuation that I felt was fair for me and they felt was fair for them. So I actually went out just to, to other friends and family and, um, you know, it's a pretty awkward thing to do, but I try to caveat my, my outreach to them with saying like, I don't need money, right? Like I'm not desperate for money here. I'm not asking you to help me out. I'm saying this is a business opportunity and it's one where, you know, I do need some, the business needs some money, but if it doesn't come from you, it's going to come from somebody else. So don't feel any pressure to say yes, but that has been, I had a really surprisingly good kind of reaction to that. Um, I didn't expect that many of my mates had a lot of money to, to put away, but a lot of them have been been very forthcoming and have shown a lot of faith and trust in me, which is awesome. I mean, so far I've raised about $107,000 and just trying to raise a little bit now. One of the directors actually did come back afterwards and say, okay, well, look, it's not, they wanted basically to, to have a much bigger say and a much bigger part in the business. And and when we weren't able to come to agreement, they went, okay, well, I'll just come in on a smaller a smaller amount. So yeah, I think you'd be surprised at who who who's interested in doing it and who's interested in coming forward. So you know, I definitely recommend just asking people and and seeing what they say. I got a lot of a lot of rejections, a lot of people saying no. Everybody was fantastic about it. You know, they're like, I would invest, but I can't do it because X Y Z, or I don't invest in startups or whatever. But just going out and asking people is is great. I think just before that though, before I started asking my my friends, I did um, 
because I was struggling and it looked like the deals weren't going to go through with my directors, I, I reached out for help and, and people put me in touch with some venture capitalists and both here and, and, and internationally and, and a couple of other people who, a couple of angel investors and stuff. And I just had a conversation with them, just, you know, this is what I'm trying to do and this is what I want to achieve and how do you suggest I go about it? And they were, they were fantastic and, and really kind of keen to, 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 to share their knowledge and share their experience, which surprised me a little bit, I think. I, particularly with venture capitalists, I always had this idea of them as people who are so busy that they're not willing to give you a minute of time and whatever else. But actually, you know, they, and then maybe this is the case for a lot of them. I haven't spoken to all of them, obviously, because they understand the value of these relationships. I think they're often willing to have a chat and just talk about things and, and share their knowledge and share their advice because they know how hard it is for people coming up and they, they want to make it easier. That's ultimately why they're doing it. You know, yes, they want to make money, but there's a million ways to make money. So, you know, you're only going to be a venture capitalist if you actually want to see other people succeed and you want to play a role in that. So Fora is an early stage startup and we've heard how Tam has validated the idea by testing directly with his customers, how he pivoted to online trivia when COVID hit and how he managed to raise funding from his network. So what comes next for a startup like Fora that's still very early in its life cycle? Growth is probably the next phase, scaling up and really testing demand. So Sydney will be opening back up and really right now just trying to figure out exactly what the best way to relaunch the service is. I've been building a wait list of, of people who want to try it out which is awesome. So it's really just a question of timing and making sure that they're comfortable with it whenever that comes around. And then really from there, we see it's 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 a real unknown. You know, I've got some projections, I've got some forecasts. I'm pretty ambitious with it. I want to grow really, really quickly. I want to be in Melbourne next year. I want to be, you know, international by the end of next year. And I don't know if that's ambitious or naive, to be honest, maybe probably a little bit of both. But looking at it on a spreadsheet, it's feels achievable a lot of it's based on so whatever data i do have i try to use that and then extrapolate so for example you know what was my website converting at how many people actually respond all that kind of stuff right so i've used that data wherever i can and then assume that it's going to improve because i know how to improve websites and how to improve processes and then i've tried to find some data on other companies other similar businesses and you know what what their rates are if you can find it in case studies or anywhere else my own experience from marketing and just knowing what you know, what it costs to acquire customers and what it costs to advertise. And then some of it is just guesswork, right? And it's it's literally just saying, well, I think two thirds of people are going to do this. And, you know, only 10% of people are going to do that. I think what I really have learned is to just accept that you might be wrong and work to those assumptions. You know, you're never going to be able to put a number on everything. And even if you did, there's a very high chance that they're not accurate. So, um, all you can do is use your best rationale and then and then adapt when when the numbers actually come out and you see how they whether they're better or worse. So, you know, I'm really I'm really excited just to get back into it and and start providing the service that I set out to do from the beginning. That's you know, that's the the, the biggest thing is actually just getting some some people to try the service out. It's still such early days. I haven't really figured out exactly what the business looks like in the long term. So it needs that kind of fuel. I guess, which is just customers using the service. Tam is clearly passionate about Fora and bringing people together, which has been a common thread for each of the founders I've been speaking to in this series. They love what they do, but burnout is also really common. Founders are spinning a hundred plates and wearing all the hats. So how do you keep yourself fresh and on top of your game? 
Yeah, I'm constantly working on that, I think is the main thing, to be honest. Um, I'm constantly learning on how to be more productive and how to be more focused. I I used to be the kind of person who would rush to get my day started. You know, I'd get up, shower, out the door immediately, have breakfast at the office and start working. But I now just take my time in the morning. I'll, I'll get up, I'll have a shower, and then I'll, I'll meditate for kind of 15, 20 minutes every morning. And I found that just really helps to get me into a good headspace and helps to start the day right it's kind of like mental hygiene i've started describing it as uh and then i take my time with a uh, healthy breakfast and then chill out for a little you know catch up on social media watch the news and see what's going on and then get to working so i'm normally an early riser that normally starts about 6 6 30 on the days where i go for a run which will happen not as often as it should i'll get up a little bit earlier kind of half five or five o'clock and, and go for a run beforehand just to get the thing going but I've recently started going for a walk before 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 working as well so just after my meditation I'll before my breakfast just kind of going for a, a 15 20 minute walk around the block listening to either a podcast or an ebook or even some music I think as the time changes between here the the as in the you know the clocks go they going forward or they're going back I always lose track but I'll start calling the UK and stuff and catching up with people in the, in the UK as well in that time as well. So, and again, that alongside the meditation has been great for just feeling like it's a proper start to the day, you know, working from home. I've, I wouldn't say I've missed the commute, but I've missed the the gap, I guess, between work and, and, and home, you know, and there being a bit of a buffer between the two and some time where you're not doing one or the other. So you can actually adapt and get into that, that headspace. But that's the, that's the mornings and that's, you know, from there, it's checking emails, starting with, with communications, just seeing what's been going on, uh, and then writing out a plan for the day, going, okay, what needs to be done? Uh, what are the big kind of ticket items? Try and get those out of the way first. And yeah, and then I finish up whenever I finish up. But on the weekends, I always pack away my desk and, and put it away just so that there's a clean space in, in, on, you know, in the kitchen and in, in, in the living area, basically, so that I'm not always thinking about work. I always try to make sure that there's there's a bit of downtime every week. I don't I don't believe in kind of hard and fast rules for it i think work-life balance is a kind of a mid to long term thing it's not a daily uh, a daily exercise right you can't have a the right every you know the right balance every single day but so some weeks i'll i'll be flat out and i'll i will do seven full days and i was gonna say at the office at my desk until you know 9 10 p.m sometimes and then sometimes i'll just say no you know like i need i need uh some break i need a break i need some some space and so i'll take saturday and sunday off and maybe finish up earlier on the friday or um i'm not the kind to completely go gung-ho and, and disappear for a day or anything like that but but i do always try and make sure that if i've if i've been burning the midnight oil for a while i'll i'll kind of be noticed you know i'll notice that and try to make up for it you know fora isn't just isn't just a business idea you know i i am a people person i am and i am a person who likes to bring other people together so you know, when I was leaving my job, I thought about, okay, how how can I do something that's going to fulfill me and and really kind of bring me joy as well as, as, as you know, do something good for other people. And I thought about what is it that I enjoy doing and what, what, what do I want most? And I, and I do just love to bring people together. I've been running personal events for 10 years. So for the, for the last 10 years, I've been running an event every month um, where on the third Thursday of every month, I invite people along and they, it's kind of a full word of mouth event people bring a friend so you catch up with an old friend meet a new friend and we just go to a different pub every month so i used to run that back in london and then for the last six years in sydney every single month so it's been been pretty relentless and this was an evolution of that thanks for joining me and being curious if you found value in this show i'd love it if you left me a rating wherever you listen to your podcast 
Or even better, tell a friend about the show. I love meeting curious people. If that's you, let's connect. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm Steph George for both. See you next time.